we are a part of that collection of two white men <laughs> doing podcasts. We're two queer white men. Does that differentiate us at all? Or does I, it? I totally helps with the topic. We're talking, talking about, about musicals. Yeah, we're talking about musical theater. <laughs> I'm Peter. And I'm Nathan. And yes, musical theater has gospel. And dancing boys. And fancy hats. So join us for the Gospel of Musical Theater wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I mean, I certainly knew that there was something about Richard Simmons that was, like, similar vibe. <laughs> well, hey. Kitten, it's that's a gay ass podcast, and I'm your host, Eric Williams, on this gorgeous Wednesday in October. Uh, my neck hurts from just bobbing it up and down listening to Peppermint this week. It's just like her brilliance. I we do laugh, but we also have a lot of deep convo in this episode, and man. My neck is also hurting for other reasons. It's probably because it's just tired of carrying around all the anxious thoughts that are swirling in my head. Um, I guess we'll transition this into a quick segment of... Me, myself, and it's just all right. Yeah, I just... I don't know, y'all. I, I think it's situational where I have a ton of things going on in a row that are just like, I went to a wedding. My parents visited New York. I have some exciting podcast interviews. I am going to LA literally all at the, at the time of this podcast. You're listening to this podcast while I'm hunting down apartments in Los Angeles tomorrow morning. From the time I'm recording this, I'm flying very early to LA and then we're going to literally just hop off that plane and look at apartments. So... I'm not sure if I'll be doing updates on social media or if I'll just be so anxious that I can't even look at anything else besides the listings. But that's why this SSRI thing is coming up because I'm just like, maybe it's just situational stress that it's just too much for a pill to overcome. But it's not really working the way that I would like it to in this situation, in this moment of my life. I took half of a Klonopin to help me sleep two nights ago. And Matt told me that I was speaking loudly a lot of the night. And then at one point, I said, I need to, I dropped something. And I crawled over him and started searching the floor. Meanwhile, there was nothing on the floor. And he kept saying, Eric, what are you doing? And I wouldn't respond to him. And then Matt said he got so frustrated that it was taking so long after he realized I was just 
doing crazy shit in my sleep. He fell asleep while I was on top of him searching for a ghost object on the ground. So that's where I'm at. (laughs) But I mean, like, I know that we're going to find a great apartment and there's a lot of excitement ahead. So speaking of excitement ahead, uh, Peppermint is the guest on this week's podcast. Obviously, you know Peppermint from RuPaul's Drag Race. So many videos and collaborations with Bob the Drag Queen. She was on Broadway and Head Over Heels. We have so many great conversations that range from like deep shit. Like this last week's episode when Gus, we talked about high schools doing musicals with different races that maybe did not go along with the original intention of the script. I asked Peppermint her thoughts about that. We talk about the article coming out about a lot of Jewish characters are not played by Jews. I asked Peppermint about Laura Osnes and the vaccine thing. I don't know. I was This was a hot take episode, and Peppermint is so incredible. If you don't follow her, you absolutely should. I linked her socials. She has an amazing short film coming out that I'm going to also link in the show notes. And please, if you're here from the gorgeous Peppermint, so happy to have you. Hit that subscribe button if you would like. We have unbelievable guests coming up, including one that is uh, just... I told the Patreon folks about it because I wanted to give them the heads up uh, to submit questions. So speaking of, if you want to go get the heads up on who that next guest is, it's patreon.com slash podcast, And you can follow me at Eric Wills for all the hot takes there. Enjoy this episode with Miss Peppermint. You look stunning today. How is your day going? Are you enjoying this gorgeous fall weather? How are we? I am. I'm are are you on the East Coast as well? I am. I'm in New York City. Yeah, it's beautiful. I haven't been outside yet today, but I'm going to after this, and it's beautiful. I saw that you. Were, I think you were talking to Bob, and you you were having like a vacation house moment. You see, is that upstate? You said, yeah, yeah. What a dream. <laughs> well, it's not my house, so I'm not there yet. Sure, 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 sure. But it was it was beautiful to to have and go Ugh. to. I just rent properties wherever to escape, especially during and after the pandemic. I was like, get me out of here. You know, my apartment's nice size, but it's not as big as it. It's not like you can live here and not leave for the whole year pandemic style, you know? Listen, listen, my husband and I live in a one bedroom. We both work from home and it's just, um, yeah, (laughs) it really, it tests a whole bunch of things there, Peppermint, but we, we've learned, we are Mm -hmm. learning and listening and, um, we will be, we do put up notes, app apologies to each other when we do, uh, mess up. Um, I do want to say though, I was watching all of these Broadway clips and I, I was watching the head over heels stuff and I saw that show. I thought it was so effing good. All the choreography is incredible. Your looks are so good in the show. First of all, when you got onto the, into this Broadway production, were you always a theater person growing up or was this like a newfound dream that you kind of realized as you were growing? Well, I, I was always very theatrical for sure. Um, and I always did like school plays and drama club and things like that growing up. And I went to college for musical theater for performance. So that's what my one and only degree is in. <laughs> um, and so obviously most of my work is in drag. And right. so I didn't, you know, have the chance to really, I mean, there just weren't roles like that when I was in college and when I left school and when I was really focused primarily on like Broadway, you know, working on Broadway. So it wasn't until leaving and coming back. 
So uh, that's interesting. Where did you study uh, theater in college? American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Yes. Okay. So I, I have a bunch of friends that do you, when you look back on that time, were you like, come on now, Amda? Or were you like, come on, Amda? Let's, there were some things I would have changed. No, no. The, I, it, it was it was right in the middle. Our, I was there when the school was in a state of great flux. And oh. it had gone from, it was, it went from being basically a, just a two year conservatory program, which was very, very sort of boutique to mm-hmm. now like an accredited school, co- a college that, you know, you can get your, your bachelor's and just everything. And so we were like right in between. We were like in these like, little rental studios where like the pipe was busted and then then and then we were like oh now we have to move to the they're building our own, our new building but in the meantime while they're getting our own building we're in this like transient moment where we're like in this rental place it was we were all over we were in like every single semester we were in it we had a new school we were like this track go here now you wait here now, okay, no, so wait here. We're, we're building it. We're using your tuition and we're building this great big thing and it's going to be fabulous. And then we never got to really see it. So then right. the people came after us. We're like, Amda's great. <laughs> like, thanks for paying for this peppermint. It's gorgeous. I was like, oh. Oh, you're like, enjoy that, the pipe not bursting while you yeah. sing from Candide. <laughs> exactly. This was Amda in New York City, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, then they opened up LA. Right. They're like fully branching. I just, I went to school here too. And I feel like when you say you went to school or to college in New York City, it's not exactly, you're not going to college. No, you're going to, you're taking classes. You're taking classes. And also, what are we, um, yeah, we're surviving. You're just trying to survive uh, being a young person (laughs) and then trying to learn about the industry, which like is a whole other conversation. But I think that. Where I went to school, I had so many great parts of the experience. But one of my biggest uh, gripes and critiques about just theater programs in general is there aren't there aren't enough business classes to be like this is how you make money, this is how you negotiate a contract, these are taxes. Like, I actually I don't think I've told anyone this that I was in a class with a casting director that I doubt listens to this podcast that basically instead of what I thought were more actionable things to do when you graduate college, this casting director literally told us where we could buy cheap produce because we would be so broke. This person told us where we could get week-long free memberships at gyms since we can't afford Mm. to pay for a gym membership. And I remember thinking, yes, some of this might be helpful for me, but I also like, you're only preparing us to be like broke. Broke. (laughs) You're preparing us to be unsuccessful broke actors. I'm like, I'm trying to sort of, oh, I don't know, get to a level a little higher than that, which is not... Which restaurants will let you take off work for... <laughs> He's like, these are the best places. That the sh- they won't fire you once you miss three shifts in a row. It's exactly. like, okay, but can we talk about how to book a theater job? He's like, okay, you go to El Centro and Hell's Kitchen. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I wish I had known more in that sense. But of course... We're, every everything is changing, and, and and speaking of that, I want to ask you something. So, when you're in Head Over Heels, you're you're in this Broadway show. Did uh, was the experience different than you thought it would be being on Broadway, or was it really like, or, or actually, just how how did it sort of measure up to what your expectations were? Well, being in the show, being in a play, I think feels very similar. You know, like doing Tech Week. Anyone who's ever done like a a theatrical production even in high school you know like mm-hmm. we always have tech week there's always a the series of rehearsals and like the the actual like 
process of going through a show was very similar for the most part, Mm -hmm. you know, so not a lot of that was very foreign to me. What was foreign to me was our out of town, the, the, the process of develop any sense of development that needed to happen for the show. So, you know, I didn't work that shop the show, but I was there at our out of town run in San Francisco. So that we had rehearsals Mm -hmm. for that in New York. Then we went to San Francisco and did the show for like two months, two and a half months, whatever until the summer and then came and then went back into rehearsals and they read a month of previews. And then we opened in the middle of the summer and that was harrowing for me because the, the whole process of like the song you sang yesterday, you know, we took it out. You're not going to sing it today. Instead put back in the song that we took out and the speech that we just wrote, do that <sighs> tonight in five minutes. In you're front on. of paying audience members. Yeah. And you're like, and I was hanging on by a thread. There was one, I'll never forget. I had this one, like we, there was new, something new that they gave us. Like we had to go during our break to record some stuff for the show, like was going to play in the mm-hmm. theater. And we had to go to record that. And then by the, and that took like our whole break. So by the time we got back to the theater, they had listened to it, run it. And they said, we're not going to do it. And I was like, well, there was my damn break. And then like, so then we we had to rearrange everything we were going to do. We were like, we're not going to do that thing. We're going to do the old thing. Go. Um, and so I was like so flustered. And getting into my costume was a real process. It weighed, I don't know how much it weighed, but it weighed a lot. And there were several layers, corset tree, some stuff you couldn't even see. And corsets and like a shoulder thing, harness. And then the coat that went over that, because I had this like hood that was like sort of suspended Mm -hmm. and it was very heavy. I could barely move in that thing. And oh my God, I was so late getting into it because I was just so flustered. And we were like, oh my God, I could hear my entrance music on as I was like a a floor below in my dressing room, leaving the dressing room, running. They put (gasps) the hair on and they like glued as we were walking. I was running up the steps. And the the line, they already like there's like 30 seconds of intro music and speech speech before my entrance. That was my cue. And usually oh. I'm in place behind the curtain and the door comes up and I'd make an entrance through the door. Well, this time the door came up, I wasn't there, and I just ran in from the side of the thing and was delivering my lines walking on. And I was like, oh. I'm picturing your cast members' faces like, and here she (laughs) is. They're like, like, (laughs) it was, it was crazy. Um, It was, it was very wild. Uh, There's no glamour in theater. It feels like, it feels like exactly. There's nothing like live theater. That's why there's the magic of it in person. But the more you talk about it, it's like, it's such, there's nothing like it. But I feel like for the performers and people, you know, front of house backstage, it's the least glamorous form of Entertainment. Art, I find entertainment. Yeah. I think it's such it's such hard work, and like I, any show I've been a part of like that, it's just you never think about the things behind the scenes. Even people in high school, I remember being a like fifteen year old freshman and doing my first tech week behind the scenes on like the run crew of a show, and I remember thinking, oh my god, when you see a show, you're like, oh, it's a two hour show. They just put it together, and then it's and two hours. You are. don't realize. Exactly. Every step, every costume piece, every tech moment has been like 
scrutinized to the nth degree and then not even with a fucking original show where you're out of town changing it i i i've never been a part of an original show like that that's been changed so much and so i'm sure i'll be taking double my lexapro to get through that i mean it was, the, the anxiety alone i don't think i ever want to open as originate a role ever again yeah yeah is there is there i mean i understand that it sounds harrowing is there a show as broadway is opening up now or you have has there been anything that you've like had your eyes on or just like have a dream of even like a future revival that you've been wanting to do i think i would love to do chicago i would love Ugh. to do mama morton i don't really want yes. to be i could I, I would like to do it because i because i feel like i could sing it i don't really think of myself as like a matron mm-hmm. um so, but that's, that's a role that I feel like I could, I could do. Well. Oh, you would kill. I also want to be fair and tell you, I hate when people ask me that question. I want to thank you for answering it for me because <laughs> it really is just like, where do you see yours? It's like, whatever. But like, so I want to, I want to bring something up to you, Peppermint, because I, last week on this podcast, we had a guest. It was Gus. He's an amazing comedian who was talking about uh, musicals in high school and mm-hmm. how he went to a high school in Brooklyn, actually, that had the opposite problem that a lot of schools across America have, which is that... Too they many boys. Musical... No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. No. <laughs> Although, maybe. The actual issue is that they were doing hairspray and they didn't have enough white people for the roles. And so they like had... I think it was hairspray. They had an Asian guy play Link and there's like a lyric that's like, and you don't know white from black. And it's like, <laughs> whatever... we. First of all, I love this so much, but... What I did was is I posted this to my Instagram story and because someone had told me that they also had a harrowing experience, which I think, oh yeah, someone told me that they uh, their high school did Once on this Island with all white people. They Ooh. also did West Side Story and made all the kids playing Puerto Ricans get Pretty a spray black. tan. Yeah. <laughs> so then I asked, you know, tell me your your problematic high school musical story. And um, I'm just going to tell you that the two or three that are really... Uh, prominent to me one is that uh, a girl who was white played kim and miss saigon uh another one is that they their school did aida and they double cast two white girls to play aida uh and then another one was in alabama where they did greece and a brother and sister duo played sandy and danny <laughs> <laughs> and, and they played alabama i was like no comment so uh, I will. T- so what I did was I, I shared some of these to my story and I got a response from someone that I'm going to read to you right now. Mm-hmm. This person says, I know everyone is saying that this stuff is cringe, but how is it actually bad? I adore The King and I, West Side Story, etc. They are classic stories and really popular productions for high schools here. Our population is literally 98% white people in Utah. Are we just not supposed to portray diverse stories? There aren't many Danish or German plays for us that accurately reflect our heritage. Peppermint. Do you have an opinion? <laughs> what is your take about do you think educational theater should be held to different standards when it comes to either race or any sort of uh, difference in what the written uh, script or story suggested? What do you think? Well, I think when you're dealing with youth theater or high school theater, non-professional theater, you kind of have to take what you're given, right? In terms of the tools that you have, the money, the resources. And and, and so I, I know that they're limited, you know? And I also know that high schools have a very slim list of things that's approved that they can afford to mm-hmm. do. 
Uh, yeah. and so I know that the, 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 I'm actually going to be speaking with some, um, arts teachers in Delaware, which is where I went to high school, uh, about this very thing, mostly about, um, diversity and inclusion in their casting and also how to stay true and how to honor both the script and the stories, but also the, the lived experiences and identities of the performers mm-hmm. and the students. And so uh, I think that is, it's a tough one, but I'm so grateful that these white people are confronted with asking them this themselves, this question. It's mostly white folks. It's not all white folks, but folks in general are asking themselves, is it appropriate that we do this? And what is the best way to do it? I think as long as they're asking that question, that would be great. I don't think and I don't really know, but I don't think that a lot of high school productions 10, 20 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, were asking themselves, we don't really right. have, you know, black folks and white folks and with, or, you know, to play this. So let's just put, just put it, you know, they were just doing it. I think mm-hmm. I'm sure that they probably chuckled about it. I'm sure they were like, well, this is who we have. So everybody get your brown makeup sticks ready. You know, that's yeah. probably just the conclusion that they came to. What I would like to see is, a stronger, more concerted effort in casting. Let's get some mm-hmm. people involved in theater from the school, from the school student body who aren't just in drama class. Maybe there's, you know, that's one of the things we did. We didn't have enough males to play in West Side Story or in Greece. So our drama, because we had like two, and our drama drama teacher um, enlisted the high school football team and was like we need to get you in uh, and so that's that's one one thing that they did i'm sure that that's happened plenty of times but it's not so easy when you're looking for someone who's for maybe a different gender identity or someone of a different race but i i think that as long as they make a really conscious effort mm-hmm. to to cast it to be um considerate up when casting and also, it's an opportunity to have a conversation with the students and with the people who are participating, but also with the audience and just the general, whoever's going to be supporting the show. Maybe mm-hmm. you can insert a leaflet in the program. Maybe you can say, you know, due to what, what we had available, we want to do mm-hmm. this and it's important to, you know, we want to nurture art and, and present this to you, but you should know what we're doing is it can be seen as problematic and it, and the only thing we can do is engage in this conversation. And since we can't do it on stage, we're going to do it with you. Maybe you have a talk back after the show and say, look, folks, this is what we had to do. We, you know, as a community, how can we, what can, what can we do to, you know, whatever, I don't know. So I think that would be somewhat healing Mm -hmm. in those instances. I think it's brilliant because it doesn't silence the stories themselves, but it actually yeah. highlights what is important about the stories while also r- registering to the public and the people engaging with it. We know what this is and what this looks like, and we are learning from putting this up the way that we can. Because I think you're right that 20 years ago, they definitely were not having these conversations. Yeah. And I was speaking with someone about this actually earlier today that they had an all white production of Once on this Island, which many people uh, messaged me that they also were in. And I think that, and again, it was 10 or 20 years ago. And I think that 
nowadays, the, the step forward is that the conversation is being had. And then what you're saying, I think it's the actions you can take to make it right and make have people of other races and gender identities feel seen that you're not just putting up a show and chuckling about, oh, you're like, that's kind of funny way to put that person in that role. Right. And I think that I think that's going to be very interesting to see moving forward of like, A, if that changes the productions that are done, but then B, if it changes how they are done and how uh, people are cast, especially in high school, because that is the age where people are very impressionable. It can actually Mm -hmm. change how they see the world through the art and the musicals. And also, for one, I would love to see more football players do a musical theater. Come on now. Give me me a West Side Story (laughs) with like a jacked up Tony. Yeah. So when you when you were in high school, do you remember the shows or any like any shows that you did either in high school or maybe in Amder that were like kind of jump out to you of shows that really you loved doing? Uh in high school I loved being no, but I I mean I loved doing all the productions. I loved being in high school drama, not specifically for the shows themselves, but because of the community that we were forming mm-hmm. and Drama club for me was a bit of a safe haven and, you know, and so, and I obviously loved the faculty and staff, the teachers that were involved and also obviously my friends that were, were doing it. And so those are the moments that I loved. Of course, we had some really great times. Uh, the time that it felt like we were like, I was like, oh, we're really good was when we did Greece, and mm. cause we had, you know, we had the pre-show, we had a pre-show like quartet, barbershop quartet that would sing. We had a car. We had, you know, like we just had, I was like, what this, we're doing it. This is Come like budget. Hello. Yes. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, our West Side story was a little like, oh, you know, uh, but then the next year we did Greece and it was like, oh my goodness. Uh then the year after that we did crazy, crazy for you. <laughs> and uh, I was the lead. I wasn't that excited about being some playing some guy named Bobby, but you know, it really I really brushed up on my tap skills. Um I mean. <laughs> that was that was good, but I think the role that I kind of like really came to life in, in at, at Amda was the daddy from Sweet Charity. I, I really yeah. loved being like a cult leader, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's so sweet charity is I mean, I remember this is kind of an embarrassing reason why I got into it, but Christina Applegate did the revival on Broadway mm-hmm. and she has a cast recording and I would listen to it. And I, my first question was like, can't she sing? Then my second question was, <laughs> Do I like the show? And I decided yes for both. I think it's like yeah, it's, she, it's she's so good. A, I mean, she was a dancer first for sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And there was drama with her of like she got injured and then uh, Charlotte D'Amboise, I think, took mm-hmm. over for her at one point. I saw I her mean, in um, Chicago. Anyway. Oh, oh yes. So, I mean, just, just, truly an icon. But I I think that everyone, I think the thing about theater that I love so much and why it's important to talk about on this podcast, actually, is that especially queer people when they're young, there is such a safe haven with that. And that's where mm-hmm. I first felt accepted. And I think that's probably why, A, there's a lot of queer people in the theater business because it really is full For of sure. people that embrace who we are. But um, I also think there's like also so many queer people do it in high school or just like, our, our allies that are a huge fan of it because it's just a place that accepts and celebrates 
how weird we all are. And one person that to circle back to head over heels that I'm truly obsessed with is Bonnie Milligan, who I like. Be. <laughs> oh my God. I got when I was, I think this was, so I was still either in college or just graduating. And Bonnie was in a show at the Flea Theater, which has had a bunch of drama recently, uh-huh. I think. But like she was, she was in a show with a good friend of mine. And she at the time was like non union, had, I think it was one of her first shows in New York City. And she came out and sang this song that was like, unbelievable and from that moment on i'm like been obsessed with her and of course seeing how she's ridiculous she's ridiculous ridiculous. and so one of my questions is have you seen the video of bonnie milligan at her cabaret 54 below she sings a disney medley with laura osnes have you seen this before Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh so she sings this incredible medley but she also does sing with laura osnes which is i think is um is is you know a, a tough thing so when i when i talk about these two people doing the song together and i talk about vaccination do you feel like this is a topic that we should be glossing over or is it interesting to talk about what recently happened what, <laughs> Did you, what, what wait what recently happened so uh, laura osnes was supposed to do a show or like some out-of-town thing that was like a one night or two night thing how long ago and, like a month to two months and basically the long story short is oh that yeah i do know about whole, this yeah the whole cast had to be vaccinated and then one of the stars of the show who is like opposite laura osnes he has children and he said hey just to make sure you've been vaccinated right and she basically put out a statement after it was revealed that she wasn't going to get vaccinated she said it wasn't because of that right she basically said like she's talked with her doctor and that that's what she and so uh, there's a big outcry towards her with that and um i think she's kind of it seems to have gone silent since then and there have been some jokes saying that she's going to be you know the next star of the fox news the musical um kind of repping well they're all vaccinated the- <laughs> that's true <laughs> even they're vaccinated <laughs> so i just like i you know i think like as broadway's coming back and it's so important to be back i mean i'm literally tonight my parents just got in town to visit i'm we're moving out of new york for, uh soon and so it's like their last visit and we're going to see wicked tonight actually which i'm oh, very wow. excited for i'm going to six but, this weekend the opening oh shut up i can't <laughs> uh, that's i hear it's so good i i can't wait to hear what you think about six but like you know, I think it's so important, of course, that we, we just do this as safely as possible. But the Laura Osnes thing is such a bummer, especially when we talk about this community being so accepting. And no, like- it's it's this. Listen, the, the thing that has the thing I don't want to say it hasn't like flabbergasted me the most. But I guess I really did assume that living in New York and living in these communities that I, I assumed that. I think rightly so that these communities are all interconnected, the queer community, the theater community, so on and so forth, which Mm -hmm. they obviously are. They overlap. But I had assumed that in these spaces that like in the gay club, in the bar, in the and whatever, in the theater show, whatever, that we were all very like minded. Um, And I think socially, I even thought, excuse me, socially that we were very, very like minded. And so to find out in the past two years that many of my, let's just put it this way. I don't have a lot of personal, like when, when, when Trump got elected in 2016 and, and before during the campaigning of all that, I did not have a lot of, I had no family that I was worried was going to vote for Trump. And I yeah. didn't have a lot of friends that I was like, honey, look, look, we're this, 
I knew that it was happening. I knew that I had friends whose family members, they had mm-hmm. to go home and fight at Thanksgiving, but I didn't. So I was like, I just don't know what that's like. And I still don't know what it's like to have the family members do it. But I will tell you, it is has been a surprise in the past several ye- few years to find out that there are people who, A, I either worked with at the club, who mm-hmm. were also, you know, other drag performers and gay folks and go-go dancers or whatever, uh, managers of the bar, whatever, uh, or other actors who have come out, at, not come out, but expressed finally op- being open about being conservative, Trump supporters, whatever. And okay, fine. Um, but then on top of that, it seems to connect with their hesitation for wanting to take the vaccine and and other Definitely. issues. And so I've noticed an outspokenness, which has been interesting to say the least. I, I have to stop myself from unfollowing those people. Um, mm. I'm not going to like, I haven't arrived at the point yet where I just need to unilaterally cut everyone off. But I I like to engage in conversations with these types of people. But when it comes to like work and should we be vaccinated or not, I just, I don't necessarily, I do believe that getting vaccinated is a personal choice, but I do think that there's like anything else, um, re- you know, consequences and repercussions to making right. either of those choices. And it turns out that one of the repercussions or consequences to not being vaccinated is not being able to go and be around people who, who you know, in groups. And right, and you can't do the job that you want to do. And unfortunately, yeah. if you're putting someone else and their family at risk, then it's like, that's what I can't. I just think get it's behind. really interesting because you know when I I can remember I remember hearing the conversation about AIDS and HIV, not mm-hmm. only even just past the if you can't come in this room if you have AIDS or HIV because you might spread it that ignorance. Not only that, but also the you know, the people who were very, had fervent beliefs about, you know, if you have AIDS or HIV, you better tell everyone in your, you're around because if we accidentally have sex with you or whatever, then you're endangering us. Now that's a different conversation, but it's really interesting that they can see that, um, as a reason for, you know, notification and talking about and consent and all those things. But, you know, and you want to protect yourself and you want everybody, mm-hmm. I don't want somebody with HIV in my children's class, you know, like that conversation. Whereas, and I just, I, I have a hard time n- not believing that those are the same people. I, I don't right. know that they are, but I have a hard time not believing that those are the same people. Peppermint, that is so spot on because it's all about like, well, wait a minute. If one thing is their own personal rights, then the other thing is like, if you think that you're, fa- if you're going to get, you know, accidentally attacked by sexually by a HIV positive person or even about trans rights where it's like people saying that they're trying to protect their children and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden it's like well then then if if we're trying to protect our children with a vaccine it's not the same thing that I'm that you're you're bending every single rule just to accommodate only yourself and and I guess they they might say the same, the opposite the the exact same thing you know for 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 everyone else where you're like oh you're 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 you know you're pro-choice only when it comes to this or not you know um you know reproductive rights but not Mm -hmm. when it comes to vaccine oh i see i know that there's people that are out there but we're talking about a public 
health issue. Public health issues are communic are communicable situations where right. you can't where you have to you have to follow certain public health guidelines. You just do. And I think that we have forgotten that there's a whole series of vaccines that we have to go through to to be around other people in public and do all the things to work at certain places and all of these things. And I know that people are really upset about be losing work. There's a, there's a dancer, a Janet Jackson dancer named Teresa Espinosa, who I really like only because she was a Janet Jackson dancer. And, you know, she's very outspoken about you know, you're all a bunch of sheep. The vaccine doesn't work. Also, vaccine doesn't work, but also masks don't work. Somehow that's connected. Okay. Uh, okay. And, you know, I have natural immunity because I had it and I, you know, I don't have to do it. I'm like, girl, okay, fine. But why, like, don't, that's for you. And if it's individual, great. But like, it just seems so counterproductive if you're not, if you're going to in one breath say, I'm, following my own, you know, freedoms, but at the same time, not adhering to any of the other protocols, like none of it. I don't, I believe in natural immunity. I had it. No one's dying from it. You're, I'm not, I don't want a vaccine and I'm not wearing a mask. Don't tell me what to do. And I'm going to work anywhere I want, but you better not come in here with your HIV. What? Okay. What? I mean, it's also with all due respect, you think that you know better than the top scientists of the country and the many, many millions of people who have gotten the vaccines and wore the masks. Okay. And like, listen, you are a very talented person. All these people who I'm sure have so great quality. Yes, girl, I'll listen to your CD. Right. I'm not going to listen to your science advice. Yeah, that's it. And I and let's not work. Let's figure out another way that we can safely work together. And until they do, then you then we can't work together. And if the Absolutely. and if the situation were everyone who's vaccinated needs to not be around, you know, like if you're vaccinated, you can't work here. Mm -hmm. I guess I would have to find another job. Yeah, but that's yes. kind of backwards, obviously, because if you're vaccinated, then you're not, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's just it's just so much to to weigh and just to, especially like it's good that we're open to having conversation with people mm -hmm. because I think if we only cut them out, then it's just you're letting them then spread their own stuff with anyways. I do want to ask as we're moving forward, because this podcast loves to talk about like early inspirations and, and, mm -hmm. and our queerness and embracing ourselves. And I want to ask you, like when you were growing up, is there anything in the world that like you connected with in a way that was like that I know I'm a part of this queer world or like I'm different? Like, was there anything to you that whether it was like a movie or like uh, an actor or like anything that even like a musical, anything that jumped out at you? There really wasn't, you know, I mean, I knew the feelings that I had in my own body and mm -hmm. I knew that I like it was very apparent probably to everybody that I was really like super femme and very like into the shiny things. Sure. But that, that's, that could be for anybody. Right. And so, but that was for me, my biggest signifier. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly knew that there was something about Richard Simmons that was like similar vibe, but very <laughs> different. 
Um, I want to point out that your eye acting in that moment was just so, so re, re, deserves an award. Um, I mean, Richard Simmons is a great answer. I think that I think all of us at one point connect with Richard Simmons. As you are, as we're kind of getting into now the future of talking about, you know, we're talking about theater and musicals and these high schools doing these shows. I'm curious as you're looking as drag races continuing, and it's like, I mean, I feel like. It keeps getting to a point where you think it's not going to get any bigger and it continues to. It's still winning these Emmys. It's still, it's just like all of these different incarnations of it around the world. When you hear that, I've heard people say their critique recently that they feel like the show is becoming too either commercial or mainstream or ed, whatever they, or glossy, whatever they think it is. Do you feel that way that it, that there's a downside to it becoming like a global phenomenon or what is, what is your take on it? Uh, there, I mean, look, there's, there's, ups and downs to all these things. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest downside, if there's a downside, I think one of the things that's unfortunate that we have to try to watch a little bit is the pressure, the pressure that's put on the contestants, the pre- the pressure that they feel to spend a lot of money to go yeah. on the show because there was a moment in time when it was really about how ca- how much can you create? Like who can create the best look out of right. nothing or all whatever. the design challenges yeah and now that's really not the case it's like who can who can purchase the best outfit for the most amount of money f- that fits within the theme um well i and- think that's why it was so impressive that raja did so unbelievably well this past season yeah absolutely and i mean it's different for all stars that was all stars it, it, it is a different mm-hmm. game for the you know, when you are doing All Stars, you're coming in having had a little bit of exposure to right. the the money and everything that could can come through with it, and so naturally you're going to have some connections and have some conversations with designers. But and even those girls need to spend a lot of money. But like the original, like the original season girls who have who were working at a bar, you know, me, me before I went on the show, period, I had to borrow twenty thousand dollars to get costumes made. To do it, no one told me I had to do that. But mm-hmm. that's in order to bring all of the outfits that they were asking for, and knowing the type of things that that we're seeing on the show. That's what I was doing. You know, each outfit's wow. costing a cut like a two, three, two, three thousand dollars, and you're bringing like twenty outfits. You know, wow. Do you, when you look back on your time in the show and that investment you put in before, do you feel like that money and that that was you would have done it the same way? You thought that that was worth it spending it, or do you think you would have done anything different? I mean, you know, I just kind of threw everything at the wall and see what's 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 stick, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I I probably wouldn't do it any other way yeah. again. But you know, if I were to go back to like an All Stars, I I would certainly be a little more discriminating with my money. I mean, it's, I can't imagine the pressure before you're going on a show and especially the girls this past season that like going through the pandemic and also knowing that you couldn't really perform live and, mm-hmm. and then to just go straight. It's just an amount of pressure that it, it clearly we're getting some amazing Queens out of it. But yeah, I agree with you that I can't imagine that, that pressure, but I will say that there is a lot of pressure on this podcast for me to ask one question that is really kind of a revealing question. Uh, Peppermint, when I ask you that if the world was ending, you could only save one character actress, who would we answer? Do they have to be alive? No, <laughs> we can bring back from the dead. <laughs> 
It would either be Lily Tomlin or Lucille Ball. Oh, yes. These are great answers. So, one living, one dead. Um, Lily Tomlin, just a queer icon. But also, Lucille Ball, when you hear that um, Nicole Kidman is doing the movie of uh, Lucille Ball, we're giving a shaken head right now. Peppermint, what is it? Do we think it's going to be good? I mean, I think it will be well acted. I do think Nicole Kidman is a, is a, clearly is an accomplished actress. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think I think Nicole's will t- will take it seriously. I think Nicole will take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know like when you see a friend in a show and the show is really bad and then like you're like what do you say to that person and you say you did it. <laughs> the costumes? <laughs> the lights? <laughs> Mm-hmm. You were up there. <laughs> I can't ever <laughs> say anything. Nicole's really going to take it seriously. And she's going to, you know, uh, say the lines. She'll probably um, look, look, I mean, she's so, I think of her as being so tall and lanky that I, right. it doesn't seem like the right thing, but I'm sure that they're going to spend whatever they have to spend to, to get the look right. And so, you know, I think this, sum, I guess the question will be, will the sum be greater than, will it be greater than the sum of its parts? You know, mm. that's the question. Damn, that is the question. It's so interesting, especially with casting these days. I mean, there was an article that came out recently about Catherine Hahn was cast as oh shit, I'm blanking. There's like I'm sure people listening are gonna be screaming when they when they know because it's like Catherine Hahn was recently cast as a character that is Jewish, and there was there's been some articles coming out, and like Sarah Silverman was saying that there's been kind of a Oh, she's playing Joan Rivers. That's who it is. Catherine Hart is playing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Joan Rivers. And there's an article about why won't Hollywood let Jewish actresses play Jewish women? And there's, you know, Catherine Hahn, who also is in on Transparent as a plays a rabbi, and she's not Mm -hmm. Jewish. Um, in Shiva Baby, which is literally about like sitting Shiva after a person has died in the Jewish uh community. There is Is she in that too? Rachel Senat is actually so this comedian Rachel Senna who's so good she plays the lead of it and she is not Jewish but does a really good job uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg was played by Felicity Jones who is not Jewish um and then there's one more oh Rachel Brosnahan Mrs. Maisel and it's like I think Sarah Silverman said something that I because again let's I get the argument here and I am a Jewish person so like I want the representation also when it comes to gay characters, of course, I would love mm-hmm. for queer actors to play those. But Sarah Silverman's like, is this the top priority of the list of things? I think it depends. Yeah. You know, like, I think it would have been, it would not have served the piece well to cast somebody who wasn't Jewish in um, in that miniseries, Unorthodox. For, you know, Right. It would not have, I don't Great even know series. how that would have worked. Uh, right. But if you're talking about, like, someone who you know, the, the story itself, them being Jewish is not centered. Their experiences as someone who's Jewish is not, are not centered. You know, maybe them being Jewish and their, their experience being Jewish may not outrank the, mm-hmm. the other experiences that this person has and is living through. I don't really know. Like it is really difficult. I'm not Jewish, so it's not my place to say. Uh, but I certainly can see the value of having someone who, does have these experiences line up. I do right. think we don't necessarily need to cut to the shortcut and saying 
only this person can play this, you know, only people who have this experience can play these period people, period. I don't know. Right. I know that's that's the sort of litmus litmus test, but the bigger picture of it for me is do are we putting someone in the role who doesn't have a reverence for exactly what's happening, who doesn't really have a good understanding of exactly what's happening, and doesn't have respect for the larger picture here? Uh, Definitely. You know, when Jared Leto, Jared Leto did a wonderful job in Dallas Buyers Club, but the fact that when he was in an interview and someone asks us, what's it like to be a transgender woman? And he was like, oh, there's no room in the pantyhose for my balls. Oh, Meanwhile, no. we're getting murdered in the streets. No, That is why, you know, if Jared had just had a converse of several convers, I don't know what Jared did. There was some um, consultants working on the film, but if Jared had had more, I believe that if Jared had a deeper understanding and empathy for the trans community at that time, then that would not have come out of his mouth. And what we want is an actor who at least has a reverence and an, an empathy for what what they're getting into. And so I think that's what we should be looking for. I just, I'm really not buttering your biscuit. You are by far one of the most amazing people I've ever spoken with. It's just, you're so right. It's just, there's the, it's, it's not, you can't just say only certain people are going to play the roles, but it, it's, I think that the, especially the women that I just brought up have played these roles. I would like to think that Rachel Brosnahan and Mrs. Maisel, she does such an amazing job. She did her work. She pr- brings it to life in such a great way. And so I understand the frustration because it is a very Jewish show. Mm-hmm. And I understand, especially and as a Jewish person, that's like, if you're watching someone that's like mispronouncing prayers and like, it's like you, but I, I do think that Rachel really put the work in and uh, in my mind, Catherine Hahn can do no wrong. And so have at it girl. <laughs> Um, but there is another part of this podcast before we say goodbye that I really want to have a brief conversation with you about, which is Whoopi Goldberg has done so many films. What do you think is the best Whoopi film? Peppermint, what do you answer? I really loved Claire's heart. Oh, no one's answered this before. <laughs> Wait, what? I haven't seen this one and I'm devastated to admit that to you, but I have to be honest on this podcast because Whoopi, okay, yeah. Clara's heart. 1988 film based on a novel stars Whoopi Goldberg and what Neil Patrick Harris in his debut role. Yes, it was his debut role and it was a very adult, you know, themed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a drama, you know? Wow. And it's very, oh, it's, I can't wait to watch it. It's a this. very dramatic moment for Whoopi. Now, obviously uh, the color purple is, is, mm-hmm. you know, seminal and you can't you can't forget those '80s comedies. Jumpin' Jack Flash, I think, is amazing. Uh, but yeah, Clara's Heart was like one that I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this up because I didn't. I had never seen this one, and I'm definitely going to be watching this. I need a good drama, and of course, we'll be there. So last week we talked about Sister Act and Sister Act Two because our guest Gus talked about how he heard that the second movie was actually not written to be a sequel for Sister Act. It was a separate thing that they kind of forced in, oh, wow. which I'm not a hundred percent sure that. I mean, the accuracy. I'm sure parts of it are, but you know that that Midler was originally offered the role Mm -hmm. and so uh, basically what i read is that she regretted not taking the movie i think she said i wrote her quote down she goes uh my husband never lets me forget like the mistakes i made she says bet miller says there was sister act which was written for me but i said my fans don't want to see me in a wimple i don't know where i got that from (laughs) why would i say such a thing so Whoopi did it instead and of course she made a fortune 
So I, <laughs> I, I, I find it interesting that what I read is that Whoopi Goldberg was then put on the show or put on the movie Sister Act, and then like two weeks later they went into production, and Carrie Fisher did rewrites for the screenplay, and that then the the film writer he wanted to put a um, pseudonym on his name because he felt like it wasn't still wasn't his script anymore. But do you think between Sister Act and Sister Act Two, you have a favorite between those two? I actually, I mean, I like the story of Sister Act One better because it. I really think it highlights Whoopi and and the story of this like Vegas showgirl lady, which I mm-hmm. think is so fun. But I like the music from Part Two better, obviously. Obviously, I respect that answer. And That's that a great you know, take off your robes, take off your robes. Your teacher says, take off your robes. What? Why? I don't know. Just take your teacher says, take off. I don't know. Just take off your robes. <laughs> It's That's like the, it's so funny. That is like the best like prelude to a number ever. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Just take your ropes. ropes. I don't know. <laughs> and then I'm like, of course, you watch the number, and they're doing full like cartwheels. Yeah, like, like what? How are they supposed were to they going to do that in that robes? They weren't going to do that in that robe. <laughs> those robes would not have helped on those cartwheels. Well, Peppermint, I want to thank you so much for coming on That's a Gay Ass Podcast. This Absolutely. really meant the world to me. It was such a great conversation. Yes. And I cannot wait to see the next amazing things you do. And thank you so much. Absolutely. You should. Well, you don't have to wait too long because I have a new show coming out. It's called Call Me Mother. It's a drag reality competition on Out TV, but it'll be available everywhere on Out. It's called Out TV. You can get it on Apple TV, Apple Plus, whatever. And then um, Amazon and Roku and all your streaming places. Yeah, um, so it sounds so it. incredible. Definitely going to be uh, linking that in the show notes with all your information, ah, yeah, all yeah, your yeah. socials. And um, I cannot wait for that to come out and to, to continue to support the most iconic, amazing person, Peppermint. Oh, uh, you're a star, truly. <laughs> Massage that neck, girl, because you just were bobbing it up and down for this episode with Miss Peppermint. Uh, I want to thank Peppermint for being here and make sure you follow her social media and tag her to let you know you listen to this episode. It it really helps get the word out as well. I will also say, speaking of getting that word out, we have that Instagram going. It is at Gay Ass Podcast. And follow me on TikTok as well. Why the fuck not? Uh, I want to tell you that this is just a crazy time in my life. And so I will be taking off one or two weeks from the podcast. I'm going to let you know exactly when that is. But stay tuned on my social media, definitely my Instagram, to uh, hear about that. Just because I'm trying to make this all happen and, you know, not make my SSRIs work too hard. Because, hello, is this thing on? Have a great rest of your week. Stay gay, my girlies, my gap-toothed bitches, and we will see you soon. Bye. We are a part of that collection of two white men doing <laughs> podcasts. We're two queer white men. Does that differentiate us at all? Does uh, it? Not, it really helps with the topic. We're talking, we're talking about, about musicals. And we're talking about musical theater. <laughs> I'm Peter. And I'm Nathan. And yes, musical theater has gospel. And dancing boys. And fancy hats. So join us for the gospel of musical theater wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.